and welcome back to another episode of Women Talk Tech. Today I'm joined by Manjuri, the Global Director of Talent Success and DEI at OLX Group. When Manjuri agreed to come on the podcast, I was so excited as she's such an inspirational figure in the tech world in Berlin when it comes to DNI. In this chat, we discussed her career journey and her experience as a woman of colour. We also discussed the challenges she experienced when relocating to Berlin in relation to her career. Now, for those in tech, you will know the industry took a massive hit over the last year uh, with layoffs, issues with companies getting funding, and so much more. So, Manjuri and I also discussed this and how to still champion DI with very little budget and resources. Honestly, such a great chat. I'm sure you will all enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me here. I think um, uh, it's, a, it's an excellent opportunity to have this conversation with you. Um, so about me, uh, I'm born and brought up in Delhi, uh, spent uh, pretty much my life working through uh, in different cities in India and then moved to Europe in 2014, have uh, worked across uh, different, well, worked and lived across actually in different uh, countries like Sweden, Czech Republic and call Berlin home for the past nine years. I actually complete nine years this week in Berlin, so it's it's super, super exciting for me. Um, I know it's it's a love-hate relationship always with Berlin. Either some people really love it or some people really hate it. But I'm in the in the former bucket, so I really love love the life here. You can literally be yourself, I guess. Yeah. Um, apart from that, uh, maybe something that uh, is not very obvious about me or is obvious about me, because if if uh, people have seen my talks or know me well, they know that I have this real obsession with anything which is uh, panda or panda-ish. So you'll all sometimes also find some Easter eggs in my presentations and talks where you'll find a small panda somewhere. Um, and I, I really love the species. I think it's super cute. They're huge, uh, but they are really gentle. Uh, and there's a lot that we can learn from uh, from the species as such. Um, about, well, what else? I mean, if I jump into my uh, career a little bit, uh, I started with uh, post my MBA, which I did uh, specialized in HR, worked along with different setups. My first stint was actually with a manufacturing company. Um, very soon I realized that's not for me. Um, <laughs> I moved into tech um, all along and was uh, working with companies like Emphasis, which is a Hewlett Packard company, then moved to Accenture was working with Accenture, different capacities in HR business partnering and talent development, and then moved um, to Zalando when I moved to Europe, uh, took over their tech talent acquisition. I'm really proud of the time that I spent in Zalando and built up and scaled up the, uh, scaled up the organization, and then joined OLX in 2019. And today in my current capacity, I uh, take care and lead uh, all talent, uh, starting from employer branding to talent acquisition to development, engagement, and of course, uh, uh, also diversity, equity, and uh, inclusion is a part of my uh, remit. Um, and I am really, really crazy about traveling. Uh, that's something, and it's, it's, it's actually a feat to do that on an, on an Indian passport. Uh, lots of places where you have to apply for your visas, etc. But thankfully for the Schengen zone, I don't. And that's that's fun. And whenever we get an opportunity, me and my partner, we just, you know, take off. And even if it's just a weekend and, and try yeah. to check out some new destination. So, yeah, that's me. 
<laughs> lovely to have you here yeah no honestly um I love that and I couldn't agree more I think traveling is one thing which during the pandemic we all missed and I think we definitely took for granted before so yeah I think after the pandemic everyone is just so super excited to kind of get back out there and be able to travel and see the, the world so to speak yeah absolutely absolutely I think that's one uh we were at least a little bit better off I guess there's some countries which are very very strict yeah but, uh, I guess with with uh, the vaccines and and when once we got ourselves vaccinated I guess we were lucky to at least use it and then uh, travel within Europe at least yeah. you couldn't travel out of course um, and even even seeing our loved ones I remember we had a full gap of I guess two years and 11 months before I saw my parents uh, and that, that was the biggest uh, gap but at least within Europe you could still go to a beach destination far away from everybody and so and so forth wow wow and you know let's go back you know walk me through I know that you mentioned a bit more about your career journey you know before I'm keen to kind of learn a bit more about it and the differences maybe um let's say you know when you were in Delhi in India to versus when you were in Europe I guess you know tell me a bit more about your experiences as a woman as a woman of color and kind of how was the working world for you yeah, it's um, it's been it's been interesting. I think um, as I as I started my uh, my my career, it was uh, an interesting journey. Actually, the the manufacturing role that I was talking about. So this was I was placed in the corporate office, and then I moved to the um, industrial industrial or the plant uh, manufacturing plant as such, which was in a in a small city, and of course very male heavy, right? And it was it was a very interesting thing that this company that I was interning with had a a toilet just for women and I think we were four or five women on that entire manufacturing floor and we literally had to access uh, the toilet with a with a key from the receptionist and it was quite a plan that we had to make to go go there that was I think one of the quirks that I didn't really like and maybe at the back of my mind was also a reason why I wanted to move back into the corporate world and the tech world um interesting yes since I was working with tech in many of the forums or meetings or rooms, I did end up being the only woman in the room because yes, I was the, you know, HR counterpart or the HRBP and, uh, and conversations, etc. were happening. And most, most of the folks were, uh, uh, you know, kind of men from the tech team, etc. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the tech team as well, you will have just probably one woman or two women and, and so on and so forth. But as senior as you go, it'll go down um, a lot. Um, my my experience with Accenture was really really helpful, I would say, because that's where I uh, got in touch with intentional uh, diversity, equity, and in- inclusion, and and I really saw the um, uh, you know kind of impactful work through the career journey, and that was that was really interesting. Um, coming through to Europe was another ball game altogether because I I was actually the first um uh first indian to be hired in the hr team in the organization and uh then of course you know there would be a, a lot of forums again where you would see yourself as the only uh, woman of color in the room or only woman in the room because again i was supporting tech in any ways and that was that was an interesting journey so a lot of times you would see and if it's if, if it's also the personal um you know imposter syndrome that walks in or that kind of creeps in sometimes that, you know, are you, can you really put your point through? Can you really, uh, you know, ask a question in the room, etc.? What if you're judged as if, you know, you don't have that knowledge or you don't have that expertise, etc., etc., in the background? So it was, it was definitely a little bit of a, a little bit of a change that I felt. Um, 
And anybody who knows me, and I think this was our previous uh, chief diversity officer, he was probably the one who noticed this body language. And he said, I know what you do when you have to make yourself really heard and the room is not listening to you. And I was like, what do you mean? I mean, he seriously, did you notice? He said, yeah, you have this habit of really, you know, kind of enlarging yourself and you lean forward because on Zoom, that's all that you can see. So you lean forward and that's when you know that now she's going in for the kill kind of a thing <laughs> and making her point because the, the room is not listening, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. that, that definitely continues to happen uh, irrespective of where and et cetera. So I have to sometimes step in and enlarge myself and lean in and uh, kind of, okay, now hear me. And I'm yeah. raising the voice sometimes to do that. So that, that has been an observation definitely uh, in, in conversations and forums. Wow. And would you say that's been the biggest challenge, you know, trying to be heard, trying to make sure your point is, is kind of heard in the meetings? Has that been the biggest challenge? Or would, would you say there's something else where that has been, that's, that for you was the biggest challenge for you in your career? That has been, I think, the the biggest challenge, yes. I guess also there's, it's it comes with the fact, and um, it comes also with the fact, and I've heard this, I think, from the ex-prime minister for, for New Zealand, she used to say that you, you know, you can be nice plus assertive. Yeah. And I guess that's another thing. And that's a cultural context. So we, um, and that's something that I sometimes joke with my mother and uh, joke with, you know, for folks from my family, because in India, culturally, you're taught that you should, you're not, you shouldn't speak up. You shouldn't, and especially you shouldn't speak up to your elders, right? So you're not supposed to raise your voice or supposed to put your point beyond beyond a certain uh, boundary um, and in our kind of forums when you work with tech when you work with startups I think you can be in you know starting off my career I was 24 and I was probably dealing with a senior manager who would be 40 45 right so if I start with that context that's a cultural subconscious thing that always pulls at you but then yeah. you really get over it so half of it is myself my culture my learnings that I've come with the half of the other half is also the challenge and it definitely helps if there's someone in the in the room who can lean in and pull you out so sometimes that happens um where somebody would say hey i did we didn't hear from her so let's hear what she has to say etc and that's something that i've also learned to do and if i am in a room with four people and i i don't hear the fourth person then i would rather ask that person also for feedback there so that that definitely has been a challenge i won't say it's the biggest biggest challenge but it definitely has been a challenge yeah that's really interesting as well because I, I think you know we tend to look at diversity quite narrowly um like looking at just gender whereas I think like you mentioned the culture how you've been brought up to to kind of I guess conduct yourself in a way um I guess impacts how you navigate the working world because you maybe wouldn't have spoke up enough before whereas now in the working world you have to speak up a lot more to even get your point across in the room Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the intersectionality of so many different things that come together. Yeah. Not just gender, for yeah. Sure. And what about when relocating to Europe? How did you find that? What was the biggest challenge then? Because of course, you you were then against, I guess, up against culture, against language. There was probably so much in that journey in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I think uh, uh, one of my but the the hilarious things that are now, now of course I laugh about it, but uh, testing the testing the market in in Germany, I guess I I got hundreds of emails, and the first two words that I learned in German were vielen Dank, uh, which is thank you, and it was you know automated emails or uh, even non automated emails, irrespective of the fact. And suddenly, after a couple of even fifteen or twenty of those 
I started thinking that my 12, 13 years of experience absolutely are of no use. Everybody's only concerned about uh, proficiency in language or they're concerned about expertise in the European market, which technically I had because I was supporting our Europe teams as well from, Accent, uh, from, from India and Accenture. Um, and it, it was just, you know, it took one organization to kind of look beyond and one uh, person to recruiter plus the leader to kind of look beyond and at least give an opportunity to have a conversation. And that conversation was planned for one hour. It went for two and a half hours. And after that, she just said, can you join us yesterday? So th this was, you know, when you look beyond that and when you can, when you can negate uh, certain things and, and all of us know that in the world of tech, even if you're working irrespective of you're working in Germany, you'll have uh, offices all across or at least some other countries in Europe. Uh, most of the tech population either comes from US or India. At that time, a lot of the tech population used to come from Russia as well. So you would have English as your working language. So if you can work, you know, along with that or look beyond that, look beyond these nitty gritties that we usually get hung on to, you can make your process very inclusive. And and that was a learning process from my my own perspective, right? That was the first biggest challenge um, that that I had. And when I joined and we hired a lot of folks because at that time Zalando was ramping up, they were begging to hire 2,000 engineers in one year, et cetera. So they were hiring big time. And our leader was really, as I said, she really picked up some gems at that particular time who are very well placed in different companies right now uh, through that time. But she really looked beyond and she took uh, brought in talent from different countries, uh, somebody from uh, who had moved in from Vietnam. I had a colleague who was from Pakistan. We had somebody who was from Spain and then someone who had moved in from uh, Bulgaria, from Romania, uh, from Ukraine. So the, the team was amazing and the team was completely diverse and we could bring in the technical knowledge and the technical pools from different countries as well. So that's that was uh, excellent. Yeah, and I think that's the beauty in hiring people from different you know, nationalities, right? They're bringing their skill sets from where they've learned, which is probably very different to, to how the degrees are set in, say, Germany. So you get so much skill set um, in one person, which I think that's that for me. It's more than gender. It's about what you can actually get, get from that person and kind of what they're bringing to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, let's go into your role now, because, of course, I know that you've recently had a promotion. Congratulations. Um, yeah, very keen to, I guess, go into what does your role now involve and, and how how has it changed? Day to day work is chaos. <laughs> to simply put it in one word or let me use the word organized chaos. I'm trying to organize the chaos. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was still, until recently, I, I was taking care of uh, talent acquisition only. So I was leading talent acquisition for the group, uh, which covered employer branding, talent acquisition, which is operational recruiting, as well as onboarding. Um, and now with this uh, step up, it's, it's including talent development. So it goes beyond onboarding, taking care of the talent management plus development part. It includes employee listening as well, so engagement and listening for engagement surveys and the actions uh, thereafter. And uh, what I call as the foundation of this entire talent journey, which is DEI, is also included in this. And with this, I've formed the team called um, Talent Success and uh, DEI, and this is where everything sits in with the employee journey as such. And where am I and how does my day look like? As I say, uh, it's pretty much panic um, to bring the team together to set up a vision and a purpose, uh, but I'm enjoying that. 
bringing really excellent people also together. We are going through a transition in our organization. It's a part of our business, which is the autos business is, um, has been sold and it's public news. Uh, but with this transition, there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of prioritization on what we focus on for this year, etc. The fun part of this is the one view or lens that I can have on talent. And that is really, really good because you can really tie in from the beginning when we are starting our work um, with the EBP process, we can look at how this will impact through the talent process and not just hand off after the onboarding and say, okay, now we are done, now we hand off to another team. And that is the stakeholder experience that we want to create smooth end to end. Um, so that we can have all the all the dots kind of connected for them. So that's that's the that's the aim pretty much for this year to set things up, to yeah. have this model set up, and and the stakeholders also being used to have this model uh, work for them in this fashion. Wow, wow. I mean, it sounds it sounds like a lot. It sounds probably like organized chaos, like you said. <laughs> and totally. Yeah, yeah. And how, how you mentioned that you've just set up a new team called the Talent Success Team, which incorporates DEI into that. How does that work? And what does that kind of Talent Success Team do day to day? So the Talent Success Team, basically, I mean, they'll have uh, different players in, in it, right? So the branding team is uh, busy with the branding activities with EVP, which we've uh, worked around EVP, which we've started in the last two months. Uh, of course, the recruiting operations team are busy with their vacancies and hiring. Then you have the talent uh, development and management team where one part is management, where we are defining some career paths. It's called a catalyst platform where if you're a product or a product manager, engineer, what to do next, how to grow is kind of defined. The talent development world looks is focusing on something called as manager excellence at the at the moment, because that's where we need to focus our um, uh, focus our energies on how does DEI kind of marry into this? So basically, number one is day to day, and this is this yeah. is what I believe in having uh, not not having diversity, equity, and inclusion sitting somewhere outside, and that's where the model is that it's it's the foundation. So number one, yes, we have our focus and our priority for this year continues on communication campaigns and awareness, which is all through the year. So we have certain months, certain days. We just had a uh, uh, the month of June with Pride and certain sessions that we conducted for the organization to bring awareness. We had employees in our own organization share their stories, their challenges, etc., that they faced. Um, and then we uh, uh, then we also go into other aspects like we have this whole diversity week, OLX particular diversity week that yeah. we celebrate in October. So that's campaigns, that's information, that's uh, communication that will continue. We have a full calendar of events uh, throughout. This is managed pretty much by our community manager. Um, plus, we do have business resource groups on LGBTQIA+, as well as women in uh, women in tech. They also manage certain other aspects uh, of these com community engagements as such. Then we have a second focus, which is our chosen focus for the year. We had chosen it last year as well. We continue the focus, and that's our focus on gender. Uh, with uh, For now, it's more on binary gender because that's unfortunately or fortunately, that's what we can measure internally at the moment, uh, as well as through the hiring process on percentages. We're not collecting any information. We don't have self-IDs at the moment, but through the percentages. Here, our focus is mainly, and we've also taken internal goals uh, at the C-suit level, on increasing the workforce representation for women. 
And this is where I believe that your, you know, buck starts uh, and stops at that senior leadership as well. So that's, and this is focused on women in tech, women in management, women in leadership. We've been able to make quite a bit of a progress in the last two years on uh, moving the needle on this already. And uh, this year, we want to further focus wherever we are not at the requested or the required percentage. This is not uh, clarifying. This is not uh, any kind of quotas, et cetera, that we've taken. This is more on increasing the representation. How do we do it in certain terms? And that's where the day in the talent team kind of comes in through. Whether we are talking about our job descriptions, we parse our job descriptions through an augmented writing tool so that it has inclusive language. Then we come to the part of sourcing. The sources are encouraged to source through and really reach out. They have sourcing jams, which are really focused on going into different pools and not the same kind of pool. So we don't just lean on uh, posting and praying through LinkedIn, but we will go into different pools, et cetera, different boards where we publish uh, the jobs, et cetera, to have a further um, bigger diverse pool as such. Uh, the third is on decision-making, because this is also something that's just important, starting with maybe engineering. What we try to do with our assessments is we bring in as many as possible and try to present the assessments to as many as possible, and especially with women who don't really pitch their CVs up many times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fine, so the recruiter can take a call. Maybe the CV is not 100%, but you send them a test, and more than often, they actually clear the test and come through the process. And that, that's that's an advantage with a test like uh, Codility or any other technical test. And our hiring assessment is completely based on competencies as well as leadership behaviors. So you don't have any, I didn't like the person. I don't think I can see myself working with the person kind of feedback, but real technical and behavioral feedback based on leadership behaviors. The decision making. This is another place where usually you uh, lose the battle. Here, we don't uh, let a single person make a decision. We have a feedback loop where it's the hiring manager, interviewers, and the recruiter. They get into a feedback loop, have a discussion, and you can um, question each other on any kind of biases that come through. Of course, a big deal of this uh, is also preparing our interviewers. So they do go through hiring fundamentals, which is a package training, including un unconscious bias, etc. So they are kind of set up. This is just one example on how the branding and recruiting would see DEI. The second piece would be something like development, leadership development, right? So if you are looking at leadership development, we bring in, we have this uh, cohort with uh, BetterUp, which is a platform for leadership coaching. And that's when we go for nominations. We would really ask, again, these leaders who have their, have their goals for the year to look at nominating more women who uh, from their teams who are... Uh, prospective leaders, etc. So different aspects of um, having this through the entire journey, entire uh, process of talent. That's so interesting because I think there's probably so many companies sitting out there thinking we need to hire more women. What what can we do about this? And I think you mentioned quite a few things there, but the one thing I liked was about the leadership development and the I guess decision making and promoting women internally because I think we tend to look outside. We tend to think, okay, let's just hire loads of females, which yes is important, but also what can we do with the females that are in our team to develop them and actually get them to that kind of C-suite level. Absolutely. And even even in this process, we've learned uh, to give back uh, as well. So some of some of the things is, you know, looking at the business problem, I guess we had a big challenge last year in filling up some of the 
uh, site reliability and senior front-end roles in some countries. And the idea was how do we, we looked at a train to hire kind of a model there. Um, interestingly, we partnered up with Udacity and we said, you are doing all the marketing. Let's take a aspirational uh, target of having more women in this cohort. Because again, these are two areas, especially SREs. Yeah. Women and senior SREs. But oh my God. It's a nightmare, right? It's a nightmare. So we were like, now that we're doing this, why not we train more uh, women as SREs, right? Um, and it was interesting that in both the buckets, we got uh, more women to sign up than we had intended initially. And we were super happy. I think it was 38% and 42% at the end. Uh, and this program was successful with Udacity. And we ended up with a big pool of women who were trained to work in these with nano degrees from Udacity on these two. So it is like you said, you know, we could do the same thing with internal talent. If yeah. you are, and some, this is this is sometimes we joke about this that if you have an open vacancy for a year, then you rather hire internally than uh, you know looking for the candidate. So if somebody can scale up, why don't you do something similar and ensure that that person can scale up rather than hiring externally? So of course, yeah, looking with. And you save money. You know, let's be honest. You you save oh, money. Maybe doing yes, yes. a recruiter, or you know, even from doing the entire hiring process, that takes time. It takes effort, and it takes time away from people who are not doing their job at the time, right? Because they're having to do loads of interviews. So if you find a way to promote internally, then it's a win-win for everyone involved. I think. Absolutely, absolutely, definitely, and even smaller decisions, uh, which can come from grassroots levels. We started the. Uh, something called as OLX Academy, uh, which is our graduate trainee program. And even before, you know, I could or the uh, head of talent delivery could go back and tell the team, they in, in, in fact themselves took an internal target on themselves to say, can we reach like a 40 percent, 50 percent women as a part of this? Because if we can bring more women into the technical fields, we can grow more women in the technical field. And it was so nice to see that we can start this even from bottom up rather than always top down. So just being intentional and ensuring that uh, this is something that I uh, always insist that we have to have the EI not as a fluffy, fancy, once in a while kind of a, you know, LinkedIn post, but it should sit in these impactful areas. And you should literally have impactful KPIs to measure them, not, again, not, not the fluffy stuff. So. Yeah, no, totally. And what would you say has been the biggest challenge um, in your role now? Um, it's a massive, like I said, it's a massive, massive role with lots of things going on, with lots of hats I'm sure you're having to wear. Yeah, what's been the hardest thing about your new role? Uh, saying a lot, um, or probably more often saying no. That is the, <laughs> that is the hardest thing uh, at the moment because we were doing a lot of things under each of these buckets. Uh, now with their with our organization context changing a bit, the prioritization is very important. So, yeah. you know, getting stakeholders also used to it. I think I'm super lucky that when I've shared the challenge and been vulnerable with the stakeholders as well, that they've been very understanding. But uh, also many a times now going back and saying that you're going to hear more no from me uh, and less of those quick hacks that we could come back with till I can really set the team up and, uh, have them ready, et cetera, et cetera. So that definitely is uh, is is the first and foremost, I think, uh, challenge. A little bit of a challenge is also around the transition of leadership uh, because, of course, and, and the team. Um, so the initial challenge that I felt, uh, and sometimes it still happens because it's still fresh, is you have to bring them back. You're talking about talent success. You're one team, one team. 
talk to each other one team let's solve it together yeah. so i think the first thing that i actually prioritized was setting the vision um also the sim- symbolism for the team logo etc was something that i really needed it was more a hygiene than uh, anything uh, nice to look at because that's what gives a connection to folks there as well so that's that's the other challenge as a, as a leader to bring teams from different buckets all together yeah wow wow and what about your favorite thing um what's been your favorite thing about your new role so far who knows it may come but so far um if you have a favorite thing and it's not been too chaotic i'll I'll go rogue and say two favorite things i think one is uh working and um you know uncovering some potential that people have and really being surprised with that potential so a lot of people who are coming from the talent bucket or uh even my partner in crime for dei silka a lot of potential and i'm really really happy to see that potential so that's one that i really love second i guess is the freedom to uh, experiment so we've just recently launched our uh, ai coach and i believe this is one of a kind in the in the industry as well not many companies have tried out a, a coach um a generative ai based bot for coaching of people managers and this is a cool thing that we literally started one and a half months ago piloted it with our uh people and some of the managers and then launched it last week uh with full 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 sponsorship from our ceo he in, in fact launched it himself as a sponsor etc and this was super cool and this fact that i can try out new things now we are trying out a situational leadership again ai based uh tool um to bring in to, so that we can automate and scale and have less dependence on on people and capacities etc as well so i think this aspect of my role i'm loving that <laughs> and it's interesting you mentioned that because you know ai is we're in a massive boom and we we are finding ways to experiment with ai and and use it to our advantage right absolutely absolutely and and the challenge if you ask me why is it with this one and not the previous one previous one the thing is most of the ai tech that comes into hiring sits at that filtering stage yeah I'm a little bit skeptical still unless some some tech can literally show me what sits behind it who's building it yeah. what is unfiltered and this is something that I, i i also had a chat with our chief diversity officer when he was doing some initial sessions with us on what is large language model and uh, what is generative ai and the one thing that i asked him and he also said that we should be careful of the dark side as well because if you don't know what it filters out you don't really know and especially if you put it at the stage where it's filtering out cvs you may not see any cvs and like we were discussing earlier right when i said women usually do not pitch themselves in cvs so if you are missing some keywords and if it's just based on those matching that the tool is looking at it might filter out a those profiles that you would want in the pipeline exactly and that's been my skepticism with uh putting any kind of ai in the beginning of the hiring process whereas when we are looking at something like a bot like we launched you know it's a it's something which is transparent we know what the people managers are using it for and we can see what challenges come through we're not selecting or deselecting anybody based on this it's it's safer i would say Yeah yeah and you're so right i think acknowledging that there can be a dark side is important so we don't just let you go full force straight into generative ai yeah yeah absolutely wow, wow. and you know let's be honest the, the kind of tech scene in berlin has uh, has been through a roller coaster over the last year or so right we've seen 
it's been a journey, I think, for everyone working in the talent space. You've, you've seen the impact of the layoffs uh, situation. I mean, we seem to be somewhat at the end of, not end, but we seem to have made it through the, the worst, I'm hoping, right? Uh, I don't, I'm going to touch all the wood in, in, in the house right now because who knows what could happen. But yeah, I'm keen to kind of see what your viewpoint is on the current layoff situation in Berlin at the moment and kind of what's been going on. Uh, I think I'm on the same page as you. I would rather say what I've recently noticed in the in the market or in my network is uh, more of these recruiting roles open up in the UK more than anywhere else in Central Europe. That's something that I've seen. US went on a very different uh, different stride. I think some things started in the last one month, but suddenly everything has again gone hush. Yeah. So uh, that's 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 the uh, interesting bit. Berlin is pretty much similar there. Uh, I was looking at Hong's uh, uh, recruiting, um, this the page that he announces every when, uh, every Monday on the newsletter, and that has open vacancies. And it hardly had actually had no open vacancy for Berlin for recruiters. It just oh, wow. had one for people and ops uh, generalist uh, HR role. So I think it has quietened down a bit. On the other side, what I hear from uh, again from the network is. Wherever hiring is slightly coming back, or at least forecasted to come back a little bit, companies would not be looking at hiring uh, full-time employees directly or full-time recruiters directly. They might lean more on a flexible model for now. So embedded recruiting will probably see better days. And as I was just logging into your call, 10 minutes before that, I saw one of the ex-embedded partners of ours actually post out roles for Amsterdam and for Berlin for tech recruiters. So I, I can see that I think that trend is something that people are going to go back to. Um, one, uh, I mean, they could be there, they're like a zillion dark sides to the layoffs, but I guess one of the biggest dark sides that I noticed on, um, and this was slightly a hunch, but the hunch got validated as well with uh, data when I, when I saw that I think between October last year to, to June this year, and there was an article by, by Axios that was shared, 45% of the layoffs um, uh, were, were actually women. Now, this is, of course, based on their assessment of, I think they've spoke to some 4,000 or 5,000, reached out and did a survey to uh, who were impacted. And then out of that, this was the extrapolation of data that they pulled out. And it is, it is, not, a, it is not a surprise because when they talk about tech layoffs, it's not just pure tech. You have a lot of TA that has been laid off. You have a lot of customer support. Um, product design roles, which were at the forefront of the layoffs. And these are more, usually more women are part of these or product analytics, again, more women were a part of these. So I think this was sad to see that all the work that has been done in the past two years, past three years have actually actually gone back. And this is not um, factual data. So I can only assume that it's, you know, probably it's, it's more than this and we'll, we'll uncover the dent in the, in the next months. And, Last last week, I still saw some companies doing reductions, uh, further reductions here and there. So I think we'll not know the complete reach of this in uh, till probably a couple of other a couple of more months there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, keen to see why you think this has been the case. Like, why do you think more women have been affected by the layoffs? I mean. I have, an, I have an opinion or I have a, a thought, but keen to kind of see what your thoughts are. Uh, and I guess, how do you think we can then reverse this? Because it's happened, but how can we then reverse it? I think one was, um, as, as I would see it, I think it's 
purely the, the sad part of it is it's unintentional yeah it yeah. so fast in most organizations it was more of a purely a financial decision that hey this is uh, this is where you need to be this is where you've gone beyond the budget etc and this is where you have to scale back and in most organizations as we heard from the different layoffs um, uh, and experiences that a lot of times the managers were not involved or even their managers were not involved in taking the decision so you had probably really the head of the function or somebody saying okay 15% here 10% here 5% there or something like that so it was at, in in that frenzy i don't think in this this was where i reiterate that it's sad nobody really thought that we have to look at the numbers with our um, representation figures etc if we have did we even did any organization even you can say that yes i don't have a choice i have to let the ta team uh, you know 70% of the ta team go enough but are you even conscious that how many nationalities you you lost in the process are you even conscious what kind of diversity you lost in the process etc yeah did you at least have a conversation and keep account of that that did not happen because i guess that frenzy and that whole loud and the fact that only a few people would have been involved i don't think in a lot of these conversations even the chief diversity officer or the diversity leader was included to see that you know check in um are you uh, can you can you look at the numbers etc cetera, etc cetera? where do you see the dent where do we have to work more etc going forward i don't think that happened it was yeah. all led purely as a financial uh, decision by most companies yeah yeah i i actually agree i think you know let's be honest i think all of these decisions were made just to save money to kind of cut costs where they can and i don't think we looked at what actually the detriment was going to be based on numbers all of that of course we don't want to look just at the numbers but let's be honest if all of you know if most um if 45% of these uh, people that were affected were women there was something that was going wrong there yeah absolutely you know? Yeah. And on that note, I guess, let's be honest, right, for the last year or so, the texting has taken a massive hit and companies are struggling now financially. Um, usually when companies try to uh, increase or work on their DEI, it is to do with hiring. Um, but I think, let's be honest, if you can't hire and there's no budget to hire, um, how do you think we can still champion um, DEI without the same budget that, say, we had a year ago? Yeah, there's a there's this is article that I, I usually lean on is I'd, I'd written this article for Salt. Um, if you just tag me and 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 write Salt, you'll find it on Google. It talks about certain ways of tackling this challenge without a lot of budget. Yeah, uh, I think it comes into this whole play we were discussing earlier, making it sit with each first of all, make it still sit with each leader. So despite of what happens, and that that of course it sounds easy, but needs a push. It definitely needs a push uh, if you're if you are in an organization where the leaders are not ready to take that challenge or they would say that this year we can't take that challenge etc but that needs at least a conversation to start the the second piece would be around these moments within the organization like we were discussing yes you cannot you may not have the budget to hire externally but you definitely have an option to um, you know start an internal mobility program and when you do that how do you encourage them uh, the organization program wise how do you encourage people to train and um, you know step up their women talent looking at pools from a from a perspective of uh, performance management when you look at the pool for say your promotion readiness what does that pool look like how many women are there or how many i'm just taking women as an example it could be pwt whatever data is available right so what what kind of representation can you pull up what is the excuse to not pull that up excuse would be a I need somebody who's, you know, 
at this kind of uh, level or skill, etc. So we can train them uh, possibly. If we can't hire, I'm sure there's some training budget or there's some mentoring budget, etc. So what can be these internal things that we can leverage? The other aspect would be around uh, something that is going to hit any us anyways in Europe will be the pay transparency and the pay gap, which is definitely to, to look at, um, not just for women, women of color, etc. Everyone, are we at par? If you're not at par, how do we do that in, in small bits and pieces over the years, etc., etc.? So there are different uh, channels by which we can definitely address this aspect, yeah. even if we are not hiring. We may not make the um, ultimate percentage dent in those kind of numbers when we are not hiring, but we can look at different KPIs. We, if we have KPIs around uh, respect question, if we have KPIs around dignity question, etc., cetera, uh, all those things can also be your KPIs to be drawn out if you're not really hiring and measuring your hiring numbers there. Yeah, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, let's be honest, I think companies have done quite a lot of work to ensure that the the team is a lot more diverse. So I think in the layoffs, I feel like we've kind of reversed that work. So, you yeah. know, I really want to make sure that companies aren't, you know, feeling that their work has been wasted and, you know, they should be doing a lot more, right? Like I said, promoting. What should, what can we be doing to ensure that the work isn't just completely gone down the drain due to the layoffs? Absolutely, absolutely. And that, that that's where I said, you know, the... Um, the conversation needs to continue. Yeah. It cannot be something that only because you had, say, you know, an, another 50,000 euros or 70,000 euros at your disposal, only then you will do something. Even if you don't have anything, you can do an internal campaign with stories from your own business. I, I refuse to believe that you've had everybody, or you know, kind of out the door. And uh, sorry to say, you only have seven white men sitting there. I hope that's not the case. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you can have more stories to tell, but uh, even doing that has an impact. So you yeah. need to figure out and get more innovative as such. Totally, totally. And, you know, another massive topic, which I know that, you know, I was keen to discuss with you as well, is the kind of back to office trend. We've seen it. Um, I've seen it quite a lot in London. I mean, we um, at Impala, we work uh, what we call the twat working week. So we do Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday in the office. Yeah. Um, on the other flip side, I am speaking with lots of engineers right now who are saying I'm leaving my company because they're enforcing everyone comes back into the office five days a week. So there's a massive, you know, trend going um, like I said, how do you think this this impacts diversity and, and how do you think we can really work on this to not, like I said, reverse the work we have done? And and that's a, that's a good point. I think one example we also saw with this big consulting firm from India called TCS, which uh, immediately called everyone back to office and had massive resignations from their uh, women in tech population, especially. And uh, it was a little bit of a backlash because I guess the, the head of HR assumed that the women don't want to work and that's why they don't want to come to office. It was, it was really, really, yeah, that was, that was a whole different ball game altogether. Um, and I, I think the answer lies, it's, no, it's not, uh, you know, right, right or wrong. It's, it's actually what suits for, for the personas working in the uh, organization. So like, like you said, uh, earlier um, in engineering population. So I think this is this is also to do with how we've built up the engineering organization in the past years in the organ, uh, in, in different companies. Uh, it's a distributed setup. Probably they're already working in a remote setup. So they're used to, uh, you know, working in a remote setup. It doesn't hardly make sense if you bring in certain engineers in one office where they're working distributed anyways from different offices. So probably that's a persona that 
can come together as a team once in a quarter. That's their travel and engagement budget or something like that. Um, whereas uh, maybe support functions like us uh, are, you know, those the the partial ones. So yes, we are in office when we need to be, and yeah. of course when we are, you know, we can have our flexibility. Because let's face it, coming back to office for five days a week is 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 stupid, and nobody is going to go back to it. Um, but there's a third population, of course, uh, which is completely customer facing. Now, if you go to a Tesco or or an Aldi or a little here, right? So there'll be a cashier. And that cashier, of course, has to be there unless all of them are automated. But yeah, they have to be there. Uh, so that's your frontline um, staff. So I think it's it's to mod kind of model the work uh, arrangements as per the personas and as per the buckets that are there in the company. Also to cater to what your company needs. If you're working for an organization where ninety percent of your staff is say working in just Berlin, it's easier to bring people together, create those moments. But if you are an organization of 500 people, which is distributed across 15 countries, um, it's probably one day in office and other days working through Zoom, because anyways, you'll be on Zoom, even if you're in office. So that's that's yeah. a little bit. What, yeah. what, is, what is definitely lost in the past two years, and I think this is something that we need to bring back, is uh, the juniors and the interns. I guess they have lost a little bit of what me, myself, would have felt. My first year of work, if I didn't have that kind of uh, learning from my yeah. buddy or my leader, I would miss that. And some of our population who are now getting into internship or got into internship last year, if you think they did their master's or their graduation also remote, yeah, and they would have probably done their you know working student time as well as uh, during in a in a remote form, and then their interns in a remote form, then their juniors in a remote. Wow, form. Yeah. That that's that's dangerous because by the time you're you know like your experience, you can deal with it. You know how to uh, sort things out, etc. But I guess those formative years, if you lose that touch, um, that that can be drastic. So I guess that population, if somehow that connection is built up, be it tech, non-tech, that's super important for the for the future. These are the leaders of our future who will not have like four five years of real human connection. Yeah. No. Totally. I mean, I I um. I, I missed it. So I started working um, in 2019. So my first, like my, I started in part of 2019. So just yeah. before the, the kind of pandemic hit. But again, I couldn't agree more. I learned so much in that first, say, six months to a year being in the office and what I, than what you could ever imagine versus being remote. So I can see the, the definite difference for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess, how, how do you feel like, you know, this could affect women more? Um, I, I, I guess it does. I don't yeah. want to say it. <laughs> I guess, and, and, and a little bit depends also on, on the cultural context. So and I, when I was talking about this uh, consulting firm, right, it affected women more in that bucket. Why? Because in that setup and in that culture, women are the ones who are caregivers. Women are also the ones in most setups who would, you know, after the day's work, also probably cook at home, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. In that kind of a setup and... You, you are also in a setup, maybe you're literally in India, distances are huge, right? So 200, 300 kilometers away from your Bangalore office or something. And you cannot just say, ask your husband and husband's family to uproot yourself because your office has asked you to come back. Yeah. In most, prob in all probabilities, the decision will be made by the, by, the, by, by the men and the family and say that you quit, you change. So that will be an option. 
The second bit we know mostly also women are uh, mostly the caregivers at home. So either they are caring for a parent or the in-laws or any you know, children, etc. So again, that flexibility, if we take that flexibility away, they will have to make those uh, hard decisions for sure. Yeah. So it, it will tend to impact more uh, women in, in, the, in this uh, context than, than men, as we've seen. And we've seen when we uh, all, all tech went remote, we saw that we could access and hire more women because they're, they're in those locations where they, would, they wouldn't relocate from, right? Now, if you're asking them to come, come to office, come to the hubs, again, they won't relocate. So yes, we'll, we'll be losing them as companies, but they'll also have that hard choice of not having those uh, options anymore. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's definitely going to, going to be there. Wow. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess, you know, just to kind of end, Manjuri, I'm keen to kind of see, I guess, if you could, if you could go back to your, your kind of younger self in your career and, and kind of do something differently or advise someone now starting off in, in the role which you, you may have been at the beginning, you know, a woman in tech, whatever the case may be, um, what would that piece of advice you would give that, that person who's starting out now? I'm, I'm super young already still, okay? Yeah, so don't... Really <laughs> No, just kidding. <laughs> just, just kidding. If I have to go back uh, and advise, I think one key thing I would say is uh, don't overthink. Um, be bold. Don't shy away. Maximum somebody will say no, but do not shy away. Raise your voice. You need to raise your voice more often. That would be for yourself. And the second one, raise it also for others. When you are Confident, raise it for others as well. If you're in any kind of privileged position, and that can be from anything, any yeah. kind of privileged position, use your privilege for the other person to speak up, to raise your voice. These would be the two things that I would definitely tell myself and anyone who needs that advice. Wow, so powerful. Well, thank you again, Manjiri. Honestly, I could sit here and speak with you for hours. So like I said, thank you again for joining me. And yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Love the conversation. <laughs> Thank you.